3: Welcome along to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm, I'm Connor Clance. By Nicholas Carroll. Nick, how's everything?
1: Um, yeah, pretty good. Um, I mean, not the best results, and Atalanta are three points clear of Inter, unfortunately. But um, no, I'm happy to be here talking, Seria, as always.
3: Um, That must be some sort of record that. I'm not the first person to mention Atalanta on the podcast, but look, we're going to talk about them a bit this week, so let's go with it. But um, also joining myself and Nick is Luca Gumby. Luca, how's everything in Germany?
4: Uh, yeah, hello, pretty, pretty good. For you might try and sneak in Atalanta with your your cup of tea earlier, but you didn't quite quite manage it. But yeah, pretty good. I quite enjoyed the the fallout to the Juventus Napoli game somewhat. Disappointed that the Lazio Roma game quite didn't quite end up in some massive controversy as it could have done, but all fun and lots of stuff going on at the minute in Italian football. So let's crack on.
3: Mm. Yeah, so you've brought it there. So let's start there. Juventus, they played Napoli last night in the Coppa Italia, the first leg of the semi-final, and they they went 1-0 down, which I think was the first time Napoli had ever taken the lead at the new Juventus Stadium. But in typical Juventus fashion, the Bianconeri came back and they won 3-1. Luca, we'll we'll go straight to you for this one. There was a bit of fallout after the game. So do you want to fill people in on what happened here?
4: Uh, Well, it was kind of, it seemed as though Napoli were going to sort of retreat into a a press silence and just not say anything after they had two penalties given against them. And then one of those was immediately after they had a shout of their own for the, the final goal. And then it just sort of got a bit bizarre, really, where they decided to take a pop at Rye Sport to broadcast the cup games in Italy, saying that if you were watching on Rye, you should turn the volume down as the commentary in their view was somehow so biased towards Juventus. Now it was just addressing all the uh, issues to do with the the penalties. And then Rainer, who gave away the final penalty and who sort of had been playing well and then was also responsible for the first goal. He sort of went walkabout under a high ball. He was one of the players interviewed and he just said that it was never a penalty. He came out, won the ball, which on um, replays, you do see there's a bit of a connection. I think you could argue it was a penalty as he sort of gets such a light connection that you can still be seen as a foul. He's not really changed the direction the ball's travelling in. He just said that in the end, it was completely decided by the referees. And then even in the following day, there's been further fallout. I think the um, the editor of one. Of the main media companies in Italy. He's a Roma fan, but he also started to have a go at Juventus as people want to do. He said that uh, he also had a go at Atalanta, like Connor, saying that they basically just uh, roll over for Juventus and try against their rivals. And uh, yeah, it's just this kind of standard, just Uh, prophecies about referees. And like, there were poor decisions, perhaps, and there were poor decisions in other games as we got far less comment but it's just the same old and in some ways it's quite entertaining it's just that everyone's going mad and losing their heads but it, it probably doesn't really do the reputation of italian
3: football much good no it's not like napoli to take it out on the press after they've been disappointed with the result or a, a refereeing decision but we tend not to talk too much about refereeing decisions i i'm not particularly that bothered by them but the um it's kind of hard not to in this game because there was such a backlash afterwards. So Nick, I'll throw it over to you. What did you think of the referee's performance on the night, particularly with the second penalty for you? Bear? Um,
1: Generally speaking, I thought the referee yesterday was awful. Um, I don't think it was up to the... Standard it should be, and to be honest, um, the refereeing across Italy the last few weeks has been pretty atrocious. So you know it's not just this game. But speaking of this game in itself, um, I thought, I mean, as Luca kind of touched on that second penalty to Juve, in that um, you know it could still be a, I guess viewed as a penalty. But I just, I mean, I look at that, and you know. I know a lot of people have been quoting the rules and all that, but I'm, I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking that two players, irrespective of him being a goalkeeper, Reina, they've gone in for a challenge. Reina's got there first. Yes, he hasn't got the best touch on it, but he's got there first. He's won the challenge. And yet I just I just think what is he supposed to do in that position, just completely disappear? Like, to me, it just, it just doesn't seem fair that that's a penalty. Uh, it, it just... It it doesn't make sense to me. I just don't understand what the keeper is supposed to do in that in that
3: in that Can position. I just play, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Yeah. If a defender made a similar tackle, obviously not with his arms, but played the ball in that position and then followed through and cleared out a defender or a striker like that, it's a penalty, no? If a defend sorry, say it again. If a defender takes Reina's position there and comes out. Yeah. Wins the ball, but at that height off the ground, and then follows through on the attacker like Reina did. That's surely a penalty, no? But if they, well, if if they both
1: come in as a fifty-fifty challenge together, and they've taken each other out, is that a penalty? I'm not so because sure. But
3: I, in this, the I, I ball only is think up to the side, so there is still yeah. a goal-scoring opportunity there. But because was it Higuain who went through? Because he's cleared out. It's Could not that. a goal scoring opportunity. So
1: I, Yeah, I d I don't know. I just I just I just feel like it's it's favored the 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 striker purely because it's Rainer is a goalkeeper and in that situation, when reiner has gone low and the attacker's on his feet, of course the attacker's gonna end up going to ground. If that was two players meeting a ball fifty fifty, then there'd be a collision and then they'd both probably go backwards like I, I feel like it's hugely disadvantaged as the keeper there, and I just don't know what he's supposed to do in that position. So, uh, you know, and I, I do, I do appreciate that the rules might possibly say otherwise, but I just think it's so unfair and so harsh for Napoli. And given that, obviously, I, the LBL penalty, which was um, wasn't given, um, you know, I the, the the whole backlash from it, I can I can understand from a Napoli point of view, and. Um, Actually, I watched the game with Katerina, who's some of the FIF TV people might have seen in a video, and she actually sent me this um, for the pod just to read out. So basically, her summing up her feelings of the match. And this, you know, a respectable um, journalist, but as a Napoli fan, you can see the passion and the anger that comes from this. So this is what she said. Despite some mistakes in defence, Napoli played well in the first half. However, the decisions made by the referee were shameful and damaging to all Italian football. It is unacceptable and frustrating to see what happened, especially on the decision to give the second penalty. But, well, we are talking about Juventus and probably we will see the same story in the future. We as supporters are furious, but from today, Napoli should be only be focused to improve from their mistakes made on the pitch and be ready for Saturday's match against Roma. And she finishes with some... Um, well, some choice words about Juve, which I won't read out. But, I mean, to that, I, I think I think the anger is fine. I think, you know, I think to to say to a supporter base, you know, don't be angry about something, I, I think that's like saying don't be passionate about your team. So, I, you know, I can take that. Um, possibly the players and, and some of the stuff that was being tweeted out by like Tonelli and stuff probably not needed um, from a professional point of view. But I do agree that, look, it's – I think they have a right to be angry, frustrated, but as Katerina said, I think they do really need to move on. And it, from that perspective, it is, I guess, frustrating from a neutral point of view that once again, in such a major competition, we're talking about everything but the match, you know, the football played, I guess. So it's, um,
3: yeah, a little frustrating on that point of view. Um, I. I'm inclined to agree about the the second penalty they got. I personally wouldn't have given it. I do think Raina came out and played the ball. I was nearly screaming that at the television because Sky's co-commentator, I can't remember who it was. It was probably uh, Gary Burkles because he tends to be drawn out for these games. But they showed the replay like four or five times and he couldn't spot that there was a touch. And I'm I'm screaming at the television like Raina played the ball. But down the other end... I don't think Napoli have too much to appeal. I don't think that was a penalty. I think he threw himself on the ground. And there's a lot of this. Um, I'm not a Juventus fan, but there are. A well, lot of these... <laughs>
4: so you say?
3: Yeah, I do say. Um, for those watching, there we go. Uh, but a lot of these, the, the backlash that comes in games like this, it's—is it just because it's Juventus? And I know that they do tend to get decisions, but the statistics do prove that they haven't got as many penalties this season as Roma and probably a couple of other teams. But if this was say, I don't know, um, Napoli played Bologna and would there be such a backlash about the referee? Or is it just because there's this hatred of Juventus that's already almost instilled in people's blood when they follow Italian football? So yeah, if it, was Juve, it wouldn't be a big deal, right? Yeah, I
4: think it just it just fits into people's sort of grand narrative of how it is supposed to be It's like a sort of positive reinforcement of what people already believe in. I think someone like obviously the day after someone had a like a bit of time and they they tallied up all the penalties given for and against teams over the last five years and I think Juventus were about third, I think Milan was hot. But then even even in some of the other games like uh Sampdoria had a sort of dodgy penalty given against them where um, Berezinski went in to head the ball and the Palermo forward came oh. in with a high foot and it was given as a penalty. And I still don't understand why Lazio were given a penalty against Udinese. I think it was for handball, but it seemed like really, really not easy to tell what that was for. But like the, the sort of disparity in how much those decisions have been talking about compared to these in the cup is just on a different level when like i i the second one i said i think it wasn't a penalty i can see why perhaps it was given but it's just the the reaction is so just so different and then like just so much more public and then like people just start reacting to what other people have said and it'll just sort
3: of feed into itself and just carries on it turns into that typical everybody against Juventus argument that you see on italian football forums online all the time it's just the same stuff But we're going to move away from this because I'm sick of talking about referees. As I said, I don't really like talking about it. But it did need to be discussed because, as you said, Nick, the performance was particularly bad in that game. But the other cup semi-final happened tonight and Lazio actually beat Roma. Uh, I'll throw a quick question out to you guys. You've probably heard it by now, but can you remember the last time Lazio actually won a Derby della Capitale fixture before tonight?
4: Uh, when Lulic scored and they won the final,
3: wasn't it?
4: It was, which was
3: 1,375 days ago. So it's been a long, long time coming for Lazio, but they finally got one over Roma. Uh, Whether or not they can hold on to it in the second leg, that's a different question. But I... Unfortunately, couldn't watch this game, Luca and Nick. I think between you, you have this covered, right? So fill me and the listeners in. What happened here?
1: Oh, yours, Luca. Uh,
4: well, it didn't really get off to the the, the sort of most lively of starts. Um, I think quite a few of the Lazio fans had sort of returned to the curva, but the attendance in general was quite low, and it wasn't that start um, that quick a start. But Lazio playing with a back three, and they did very well to like uh, just frustrate Roma and Roma didn't really offer much going forwards. And then um, in the first half, it was Philippe Anderson sort of cutting back and uh, screwing it to milinkovic savic for the opener. And then it was just sort of Lazio really, from that sort of, continued to improve and they looked very good with that three at the back. Uh, Wallace played well. I think he's only 22-year-old. And uh, De at the kind of heart of the back, back three and that will work very well and the full-backs were getting forward. Uh, it was Lukaku, I think, perhaps created the most chances for them and he's perhaps not the one you would necessarily look for straight ahead. And then it was just at the end, um, it was a uh, cater came on and he just added a bit of pace and it was quite a similar goal in a way where they sort of burst through um, out wide with Romero also playing about back three, perhaps a bit more exposed in wide positions and just coming back to a mobile tap in. And yeah, Lazio, Lazio were very impressive. They sort of managed to completely new to the threat of uh Their local rivals, who were were the favourites going into it, they didn't manage to completely end it as a tie. It's still very much to play for in the second leg. But yeah, Inzaghi's been doing a very good job at Roma. Uh, I mean, Lazio, of course, and even in the league, they're they're still in a good position. They're, um, I think, four points off third. They've got a relatively simple run in. Um, approaching in the, the season when they only play two teams or above them so things will get looking quite quite rosy at the minute for Lazio especially if they can get into the final after the
3: second leg of this time That's a dangerous dangerous mistake to make to mix Lazio and Roma up. but, but Nick have you any more thoughts on this game? Uh, not really Excellent right thanks for that that was <laughs> perfect so but just because you've done that, we'll go to Roma's most recent Serie A outing. Um, they visited the San Siro at the weekend. Nick, I don't know if you remember this game. Probably not. But um, they faced Inter and they smashed the Naira 3-1. Uh, Rajan angelan he's the best player the world has ever seen at the moment, right?
1: Yeah, he's a bit of a freak. I just annoyed that he had to save those two goals for Inter, but um, he's somewhat unstoppable at the moment. Um, Yeah, it was, was. for Inter, I mean, going into the match, it was always going to be difficult going up against such a strong attack, missing Miranda through suspension. So there was a lot of question marks as to what Pioli would play. Um, And he ended up going with, sticking with a three at the back, and D'Ambrosio came into that. So um, uh, I have some question marks over the, the lineup. Um I think possibly four at the back would have been better for this match, but um, Brozovic, for example, um, was basically useless. Um, so there were a lot of question marks. I think Pioli basically got this game wrong, um, tactically speaking, but... Um, before i get into any refereeing issues um i will say um, obviously <laughs> obviously um roma were by far the better team um i think generally speaking while as you said nangalam was amazing with those two goals um i think Strootman, kevin strutman and um daniela de rossi were amazing in that um that midfield and they really set the um, set the base for, for Nangalan and Co to be able to take that and take the win. So um, I think they were kind of very underrated in that match, but to me, they were outstanding. Um,
3: yeah, before you go on to the referees, I want to emphasize that Daniela De Rossi was mm. fantastic. I was I was watching the game and I was quite vocal on Twitter about how good he was and everyone was just talking about Nangalan and yeah. whatever, but no, De Rossi was he bossed the midfield as he does when he's on form. But yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. I felt a bit sorry. This will lead into the refereeing decisions, but for Roberto Gagliardini, because I like watching him when he's playing for Inter. I just like to keep an eye on him, make sure he's okay. But (laughs) I thought he did quite well against Nangalan at first. And with the first goal Nangalan scored, he kind of did what he was supposed to do. He, although he shouldn't have let him cut in, but when Nangalan cuts in, there's not much, you can't really accommodate for a shot like that, but the second goal Nangalan scored, he failed Gagliardini, surely.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we discussed this on Saturday, Sunday night, and I mean, Gagliardini is jumping in his midair and he's had a push in the back, and I mean, it doesn't take much when you're in the air. He's completely missed the header, obviously, and left Nangalan free, and they've been given an open three-on-three um, opportunity at goal, which Nangalan obviously uh, made no mistake with. So, um, you know, from that perspective, and again, to reiterate, I, I do think Roma deserved to win this match. But um, at 2-1 behind after scoring a goal, you know, this was at a time where Inter was starting to build into something and it looked like they might be able to, you know, sneak a point or actually take something away from the match and just for something like that to just go which, which I thought like you know I know I am in inter fan but I just thought it was such an obvious foul and it is given it 99 times out of 100 um it was really just frustrating because and at 3-1 down you know that basically um yeah ended it
3: so yeah right so we we all agree that it was a foul surely there's not really another way of looking at that he's in midair and as you said Nangalan pushed him so he can't really defend himself but when Nangalan picks up the ball he's still about he runs about 70 yards completely mm. uncontested and the interplayers just kept backing off Nangalan had the option of two passes and to be perfectly honest going ahead and shooting was the wrong option to take but he smashed it in but Inter surely have to still hold their hands up and say in the 70 yards that Nangalans strolled forward with the ball, we did not do enough. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I actually did mention that
1: on Sunday that, you know, foul side, you know, you need to be ready to play the whistle and the Inter defense was not there basically. Um, Inter's defense can often get found out in on the counter or against the run of play, and that was just an example. And um, particularly with in that in that formation, they were completely found out um, a number of times. To be fair,
3: by Roma. So, Nick, you mentioned that you felt Stefano Pioli got the lineup wrong or even the formation wrong. We've got a question on this kind of about Pioli, anyway. Um, yep. I'm going to throw it out to you. Martin Carter asks, will Pioli be replaced with a better manager in the summer? They fell flat against both Roma and Juventus. <laughs> uh, a bit harsh. We're, like we're,
0: a, we're already Pioli's
3: talking about his replacement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if I can just throw in my thoughts, Pioli did quite, has done brilliantly well to turn into around this year. And, as we've discussed before, isn't it a case that Inter are just waiting to see what happens with Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, firstly, yeah, that that's what everyone's kind of assuming is the next move and that's possibly not going to be, as you said, till 2018. Still kind of unsure. But um, as to, firstly, the Juventus game, I thought, you know, I, I think it's probably being a bit harsh on him in that match. I thought Inter... Um, not, weren't outstanding, but Inter played that match really well. We, Inter was unlucky to lose that match. It took an outstanding drive from Quadrado to take the three points. Um, Inter came out and pushed Juve the whole way. Um, so I, I don't think he got it wrong there. I don't see Inter as necessarily flat. That first half was the best 45 minutes of football I've seen in Serie A this season, um, possibly in a couple of seasons second second um, uh, second half yes it did drop off a bit but um, uh, Roma yeah I mean yeah he's he's had an off game but I mean I'm not going to start you know looking
3: for his he's allowed to have one yeah. or two surely yeah, exactly but he yeah. took over a, a squad that was a complete mess uh, Luca I'll, I was going to let you jump in on that but I'll send the next question over to you um, kind of links in do <laughs> you think there's anything in the stories that Antonio Conte will return to Italy this summer because he's not settled in London. I saw he was linked with the Inter job actually. Hey, it's coming just he, it's that's going to happen. Can we <laughs> can we just be honest? Antonio Conte is not going to go to Inter. It doesn't matter yeah. if they threw a no, lot of money. That, that
4: just that just has the sort of ring of sign that's designed to to wind up Juventus fans basically mm. and and get those precious clicks. I think it was coming from Tutto Sport, Tutu Sport Virginia, uh, which is yeah. the the Juventus papers yeah, wind up it's phrase, yeah yeah like um, for, for him to leave Chelsea does seem like very very unlike I haven't really seen it reported in like perhaps the more more reliable kind of newspapers and not, like I think he's he's going to win the league there in his first season he's got all the momentum I suppose he'll, he'll want to see what he can do in the Champions League as well there he's I think he's learnt the language well and quickly yeah. Like for him to, to not be settled just doesn't really seem like it's a, like a real possibility. I think even like when he was in the Italy job, it wasn't really like his... I mean, obviously it was his dream job as an Italian to manage the national team, but perhaps it wasn't the perfect job for him at that stage of his career. And he could do better in club management as he is now, but he still saw out his contract. So for him to jump ship after just one year in Chelsea where he's going to win the league just doesn't seem very feasible at all.
3: Yeah, I think the Champions League thing plays into that massively. I'm glad you mentioned it because he didn't exactly do a great job in Europe with Juve. Um, Then Allegri came in. It was his first season in charge and he got them straight to the final, wasn't it? So I think Conte will want to prove to people that he's able to cut it in Europe. Um, Allow us to go off on a bit of a tangent here, guys, but... um, Oh, what was I going to ask? It was about Conte. Do you know what? I've completely it's completely slipped my mind there, so yeah I'll edit this out but never mind we'll we'll move on (laughs) move on quite swiftly from that but um, this is the big one there from the weekend Napoli hosted Atalanta at the Stadio San Paolo Nick stop shaking your head because you're talking (laughs) about this first Um, and Atalanta won 2-0 Nick
1: yeah Yeah. I don't know what
3: (laughs) happened
1: um (laughs) Um, yeah, can uh, I just
3: like right, why is everyone so surprised by this? Like, people are acting as if Atalanta are 17th. I know it's a surprise for anyone to win at the San Paolo, but Atalanta,
2: always been Napoli, Napoli
3: now. yeah, exactly. They've done the double over them this year. I don't see the big deal. <laughs> <laughs> they can go on and talk about it because it's usually just me rambling, yeah. talking nonsense. So, for, in the but interest of balance, you two talk about Atalanta for a bit, please. Well, to, to be to be fair
1: to Atalanta, I'm going to speak about them in the game first because I don't think it'll do them justice if I talk about Napoli first. So, um, you know, they, they basically came out, gone to the San Paolo, and done what they've done all season, which is why they have the equal best away record. That they, they they're. A, I think you've said it before, Connor. They're a young bunch of guys um, that have enthusiasm. They have ingre- aggression. Um, they don't have fear. Mm-hmm. They went out there and they took it to Napoli and completely put them off their game. Um, you know, before again, before I get into Napoli's game, um, they weren't themselves, and that was a lot of credit needs to go to Atalanta um, for playing them a great game um, they did what they needed to do I don't you know um, in speaking of, you know and I do want to kind of put it separately again because Napoli were awful um, mm. Napoli were completely off their game I mean I, I, everything they were doing was uncharacteristic I was like I was struggling to see any remnants of what they would usually do week to week so it was very disappointing from I think a Napoli supporter point of view that um that they just they didn't show up. I don't know if it was a you know an attitude a mind thing um you know coming into the match, given that they they know they had Juventus Roma Real Madrid in quick succession coming up so maybe they were thinking a bit ahead um I don't know, but um they they, they um, there's
3: Napoli's bad performance. Does that not speak volumes for just how good Atalanta were? That they didn't allow them to be their usual yeah, value. and they were yeah, and, that, were pressing and that, quite high, and they didn't yeah, give them course. a minute on the ball.
1: Hundred percent, and that's why I did want to speak about Atalanta first because um, a lot of the credit for putting Napoli off the game was because of Atalanta. You just think, um, you know, you just think Napoli was playing Real Madrid, and Napoli was able to show more of their character at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid than they were able to show at home against Atalanta. So that's kind of saying something. And as you said, that's a huge credit to Atalanta's midfield and defence, who all season um, have been a rock, basically.
3: Um, There's one man in particular who has been impressive all season, but, oh, my God, Matia Caldara. How good was he? He intercepted everything there's a five minute highlight reel from this game of his performance that I put out on Twitter and every time Napoli come forward Caldara either tackles or intercepts it Um, and then for the second goal he he obviously scored the first with a header from a knockdown after Rafael Toloi headed down to Alejandro Gomez cross but the second goal Napoli are on the attack Caldara intercepts it bear in mind Atalanta have 10 men at this point, don't they? Or was this before? I can't quite remember. But yeah, so Caldara intercepts the ball on the edge of his own box, plays it out left to Spinazzola um, and just takes off. So you've got the left wing back and the centre back powering forward and then Spinazzola gets into the box and chips up perfectly for Caldara. who the volley was amazing. Uh, Andrea Pirlo (laughs) would be proud of a volley with that technique. But yeah, Nick, I'll go back to you because I'll just run away.
1: Yeah, um, I I didn't really have much to add. I mean, uh, to the game itself, um, I can talk about Atalanta if you'd like, in general. I think your mic's gone, Connor.
3: Yeah, sorry, I did a nick and forgot to turn my mic on there. But Luca, do you have thoughts on the actual game before myself and Nick start talking about Atalanta?
4: Well, yeah, it's just it's just sort of like what with you both, what you both said about like that aggression and lack of fear with Caldara to just like be that proactive in getting the ball and to score that like just to score both there. I mean, it's obviously easy to praise him after he scores too, but he's got five for the season, which for a 22-year-old defender is very impressive, and then for them to sort of keep up this momentum with Gallardini and playing and for Inter to still have these quality youth players, it's really impressive. And then I suppose at the other end of the spectrum in, in defence, you've also got Mazziello, who's been like a, a key player who's an older one who's sort of redeeming himself, whereas previously he was kind of an infamous figure because he was probably best known for like being involved in a match-fixing scandal and deliberately scoring an goal. But now he's like a, a
3: key player. He, he's been brilliant. He really has that. The back three: Toloi, Maziello and Caldara mm. together have just been an absolute wall in front of Barisha, who has been excellent when called upon as well. But yeah, Luke...
4: I think you did it again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, my mic's gone. I don't know what's happened there. Um, yeah, Luca, back to you.
4: Yeah no it's just yeah you, yeah like as you've been saying and i guess a lot of people have been saying, they're, they're a very good young team and they've always been famed for the developing of youth and it, it would be interesting to see if they get into to europe and just how much they can keep their their the core of this team i suppose kessie will probably go at some point i, I don't know when Caldara actually officially moves to juventus i'm not really sure it's how it's
3: at the end of next season so it's the summer of 2018
4: yeah, so that's obviously encouraging for him to for him to still be there and developing and playing regularly and like just the way he's been doing. He's certainly like probably definitely been one of the best young players, just like real relevant revelation. And yeah, I suppose Gasparini as well. Like he probably wouldn't have been expected to to do so well at Atalanta. There have been a few struggles in their very first games in August. It's just just really impressive how it's. Uh, Going and it just isn't. I don't think anyone would have called it over the summer,
3: Nick. You came bearing stats, didn't you? You want to talk about Atalanta a little bit?
1: Yeah, I thought I'd try and finally, <laughs> finally try and talk Atalanta up for you so well, I'm prepared. Um, well, basically, just going on about what made them so good against Napoli, and um, I think. Possibly, you know, we talk a a lot about, you know, the likes of Papu Gomez and everything, but Atalanta's defence and midfield um, this season have been absolutely incredible and probably don't get the plaudits that they deserve. Um, You know, we were talking about interceptions and stuff on the weekend. In total interceptions, Atalanta ranked number one in Serie A um, quite easily, um, averaging 18.8 a game. Um, Now... You know, they're not they're not the biggest possession um based team. They average about fifty percent. Um but yet they um they can see the fourth least shots. The only people uh, the only clubs they're behind are Inter, Napoli and Juve, who are all averaging 55, 59, and 55% possession. And add it on to that, give that um Adelanta play more of their game in their own half as well as well, in their own um third. So they're giving away a lot more possession, but they it just it just goes to show how good of a job they have less of the ball, there's more time spent defending, and yet they concede the fourth least shot in shots in CDI, which is a ridiculous stat. I mean, you I, I kind of look twice at that and you just think that's almost unheard of for that kind of team. And it goes to show then you when you look at the player stats. As we've talked about, Toloi, Caldara, they rank first and third for interceptions per game um, for, for players that have played for the majority of the season. And maziello is up there as well in, like, the top ten or so. Um, they, you know, they um, – and then – so that's the defence. But then also in attack, they, they average the most dribbles per game. So – and that goes to that young kind of – dynamic they they're not afraid to have a go and yes they g- do get dispossessed a lot second most in se but that's the game they play and it's fine because they can fall back on that midfield and defense and the system works perfectly so it's 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 a very uh young and dynamic and possibly um you know not long-term sustainable system but i mean I, you know i don't want to compare it to a leicester city but in terms of, they had a very set structure last season, and it worked for them. And, and that's, I see a similarity with Atalanta. That's, you know, this system works for them, and it's being incredibly successful for them. So, um, and Gasparini has to take a lot of plaudits for that too. I think he's got this this team working so well, and that's the thing. It's it's a team, um, and I think you might have talked about this, Connor, last week. Um,
0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping.
3: think there's a better 11 in Serie A right now I'd agree with that I think if there's anyone Juventus are an obvious one they're a real unit but Hmm. yeah they are so close and if you follow any of the guys on um, social media like Instagram they're always together even when they're not training they go out for dinner together they hang out together they're always over at each other's houses and I suppose that can't do anything but help you know Um, but I don't know if you've got a whole list of stats in front of you or anything but uh, last week I was looking at a few and Papagoma has actually had created the most chances of any player in Serie A so it could have changed by now but last week I know that was definitely one but we he, talked about uh, in the interceptions sorry go on I
1: was just going to say he averages 2.5 key passes per game which is second to only Mohamed Salah
3: and that's saying something yeah absolutely Um and Every, if you, whenever you watch Atalanta, especially when you're over there, you notice just how much goes through him. Mm. Every time they attack, it used to be the ball would be played out to the left because he'd play on the left of a three. But now, um, when you look at heat maps and stuff, he's very much the most forward player consistently. Yeah. And Patania is more likely to do the defensive running. And, but we've got this, a real theme of such a strong work ethic in that side. Uh, They lost Luca Cigarini and Martin Deroon in the summer. And they were two guys who broke up play. Martin Deroon had the highest interceptions and tackle rate in Europe, only behind N'Golo Kante last season. And I thought that that was going to be a real area of struggle. But Frank Kessie has come in and he's moved from being a defender and a defensive midfielder to an all-action box-to-box midfielder. Um, Remo Freuler has done brilliantly. Since when Galliardini was there, and since he's left, Freuler has just looked like he yes. should be playing at one of the bigger clubs. With no disrespect to Atalanta, but then the guys on either side, Spinazzola and Andrea Conti, have just they the amount of ground they cover each game is ridiculous. Um, and then Jasmine Kurtic as well, who is supposed to be playing just behind Pataña and Gomez, but he pops up anywhere on the pitch. Like they they work so hard and it's, it almost feels lazy and like, it's such an easy thing to say, but if you watch them there, they are remarkable and Caldara's performance at the weekend, I think epitomised that if anything is going to, um, I don't know if you guys want to say any more, but we'll move on. Cause I feel like people don't care about Atalanta that much, but <laughs> the tide is turning a bit in that regard. People are starting to pay a bit of attention. Uh, I did actually write about them this week. Um, about how they need to be taken seriously as European contenders. And I saw a stat today, Nick, that backs that up. I did a bit of research and I looked over the last 10 years, what was the usual points tally for the sixth place team? Because that's going to deliver Europa League football this year, or at least Europa League qualification rounds. And the average was about 59-60. The highest points tally for sixth place in the last 10 years was 63 and the lowest was 58. 58 occurred three or four times. Atalanta have 51 points at the moment. And Opta put out a stat uh, that said no team with 51 points after 26 rounds of Serie A fixtures has ever finished below fifth. So we need to take them seriously. I have been. Uh, Nick, you asked me how long have I been waiting to get that article published. And <laughs> I it should have been written in November, but nobody would listen to me. But now you're starting to listen, okay? Uh, but next up, Atalanta, welcome Fiorentina to Bergamo. We've got Atalanta who work, are brilliant, are taking everyone by storm. And Fiorentina who I'm sure I can get away with describing them as spineless. Right, Nick? Uh, unbelievable. Just I mean, we've talked
1: about them every week now and it's bad, but geez, they are just awful. Uh both both of the if you want to sum up Fiorentina, watch both of uh Torino's goals against them and watch what their defenders are doing because it's it shows exactly that, as you said, spineless, there's no heart, there's no desire. It was it's not good enough
3: that. It really isn't good enough, and serious questions have to be asked of that squad. The fans are clearly losing their patience with. I think they lost their patience with the players a while ago, but now they're turning on Souza, mm. which isn't good, and he's not gonna. He's not gonna be there next year. I think it's safe to say if things continue like this, um, Nikola Kalinic scored, but then went back into his normal Nikola Kalinich self and he missed a couple of good chances. One was he was clean through on Joe Hart and you or I would have scored it, put him in that position, I think. And he made Joe Hart look like a fantastic goalkeeper. But um, no, they, they should have killed off Torino, but they didn't. Mm. And this trip to Bergamo at the weekend, it's not looking great for them. Well,
1: I mean, I'm just thinking for you, Connor, I'm thinking Atalanta fans, given how they've been playing. I mean, surely you're looking at that thinking, what's awesome, up? Fiorentina's coming. Like, you're
3: I'm almost... about that. But, yeah, I, I've been trying so hard not to get excited. When Atalanta... Yeah. yeah. At the Artemio of Frankie, Fiorentina ran a 12-match unbeaten run and Atalanta held them to a nil-nil draw and... Then things started to really get good for Atalanta. Um, but yeah, can we talk about Torino for a bit? Um, their 26 games in Serie A have produced 90 goals. 90 in 26 games, which is obviously a league high. So we've said it before, but if you want to be entertained and you like goals <laughs> and you're watching Serie A, watch Torino against whoever they're playing because you're going to be entertained. And then Andrea Bellotti became... The second youngest ever Torino player to reach 30 Serie A goals, so he's he's been brilliant. Luca, I'll bring you back in. You've been sitting quietly there for a while, but um Andrea Bellotti, discuss.
4: Well, he, he appears to be quite, quite good at football, really. It's just <laughs> like uh, he's certainly in, in the right team because that, that Torino team, like they are entertaining. You know what they're about. They they they're very good at attacking. They've got all these good attacking players. They can't defend, so. It does kind of just a lot relies on blotti to just score, but yeah, to keep going in that um, in that Fiorentina game when, like, in the first half they'd been completely dominated, and to get those two goals, especially after missing a penalty, like, just shows a certain degree of maturity as well on Bellotti's part, especially considering how young it is to to do that. And I think that's perhaps one of the one weaknesses in this game is penalties. He has missed a few this season. He missed one at Milan that was quite memorable, but. Yeah, just the way he's carrying about, he's just so lively and alert. Like, those goals that they scored against Fiorentina weren't beautiful goals. It was, As Nick mentioned, it was sort of Fiorentina giving the ball away at the back, but just for him to still be alert and ready to just quickly turn and have that turn of pace to get in front of a man or get in and win a header in that kind of situation where it's just the ball's come back to one of his wingers so quickly. It's just... uh, It's... uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's very impressive and he's I certainly, I would say, like the best Italian striker going around at the minute and I'd probably quite like to see him at Torino as well next year just to carry on as he has, I think. It would be nice for him to continue to develop gradually and not perhaps move too early and a bit too much pressure on himself and then perhaps struggle and sort of see his confidence take a dent. But yeah, the minute he's just brilliant. And that Torino team seems perfect for him with just how attacking they are and how perhaps there's not too much pressure on them now. It's not really competing for anything of great significance.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm going to touch on Mihailovic here because Torino, you're spot on. They're not competing for anything, but they should be. They've, they're ninth in Serie A at the moment. I'm looking at the table. Um, they've only got 36 points, so they're five points off even Fiorentina in eighth. But surely this Torino side should... This Torino side should be better than Fiorentina, at least. Um, surely they should be competing for the European spots. Mihailovic, how do you rate his work there so far, Nick?
1: Um, I, I mean, generally, I would say positive still. I mean... Yeah, I think you still have to take into consideration this, the start of the season. Their defense was completely just scraped clean. Um, so, and and I guess this was um, this was the defense defense wise. This was probably expected earlier in the season, but their attack kind of made it, um, you know, kind of drowned it out. Um, but now we're starting to see the remnants that well, they really don't have a defense, and it's an issue. So I don't I don't know how much you can put that down to Mahalovic as uh, he's he's got very limited resources at the back, but up front it's you know there's some incredible talent there. So um, I think he at least deserves to um, to have a full summer and then another season to see what he can really do with that team. I think this I think this season's still somewhat of a you know. A, foundation season let's say um with a new coach and they they need to build something with that defense so um at the moment it's not really there so they, they need to build something it can't just be a all-out attack because it's not really working and you can see that with their results basically through 2017 so far
3: yeah they they were unfortunate in the summer to lose two or three of their best defenders so it was always going to be a bit messy at the back there. Um, you kind of have to feel a bit for Joe Hart as well, because he's come in to a team with no defence in front of him, and he's trying to rebuild his career. But he's he's not been great, but he's not been terrible. He's made a few mistakes, but we'll allow him that, I suppose. Luca, you wrote about Genoa this week. Um, they're a mess. Explain <laughs>
4: Yeah, they they certainly are a mess. And that game against Bologna was two teams at difficult times in their season. And Andrea Mandolini's debut, they they just snuck it a draw in a uh, stoppage time. But you feel that if, if they did lose, that it could have turned really nasty. The fans were all protesting, refusing to go into the ground. And their banners up denouncing those who who were going in and paying as basically being sort of scabs for propping up the club and the regime. But in some ways, it sort of seems to be a kind of like typical sort of Italian mid-table tale where you kind of have these clubs where they don't really have much ambition. They just want to buy players cheap and then sell them on and keep continuing with that that method. As I suppose the, the kind of high benchmark was Udinese when they were getting in the Champions League. But then eventually that kind of... you starts to stutter you you can't be so successful in your scouting year upon year to to really get up there and like Genoa a couple of years ago they were in the Europa League and they should have been in but then they failed to get their European license and if if you're a fan that's just surely just got a bit complete disappointment that the team has earned it on the pitch but then the club has somehow managed to fail to meet the UEFA protocol and I think there were some rumors as well that Genoa didn't actually want to play in the Europa League they deliberately failed to get the licence but I I can't tell how true that is but it's just yeah then one since the middle of December when they beat Fiorentina another quality club whose fans are (laughs) absolutely chuffed with how everything's going but
3: of course it was Fiorentina
4: (laughs) yeah but yeah it's just again in January your campus went to Milan there was someone there Rincon went and uh, yeah Pavoletti went to Napoli where he's not really done anything yet but it's just sort of kind of same old story where they're starting to get frustrated with Preziosi. They feel the club's just like I think the club sort of talks of having a project, but they feel it doesn't really exist. They just sort of want to keep their heads above water, just sell players once they're at their maximum value, and that'll be it. They brought Morosini from Brescia, who was one of the sort of top talents in Terry B. And I think he only came on for the last 15 minutes against um, Bologna, which was his debut, I believe. So perhaps he'll be one who sort of enhances his reputation there and then goes as uh, Simeone's been doing. He's been scoring lots of goals for a team that's been in badly, but you can sort of certainly understand why fans at a club like Genoa do get frustrated And that essentially you don't really have anything to look forward to. You just sort of exist and like you never really have much of an identity at the moment. It's just constant rotation of players. I think it's sort of the same at Palermo where... Points had like Bellotti de and Bala, and Vasquez, but then they just all go. It kind of sort of erodes the identity of these these clubs. Who, you know, Genoa have got nine Scudettos to their name. They they can do better. They've they played in Europe. They have played against Liverpool, uh, Marassi. They've they've had sort of like a lot, lot higher points in their history, and you can understand why the the frustration boils over. And it's, I suppose obviously they see Atalanta as well with Gasparini, who some of them didn't like at the end of his time, but he was the longest serving manager there in Serie A, before he went and clearly was doing a good job. And they can see that Atalanta have an identity. They develop all this youth and they do the same thing. They sell it, but they do seem to be better at developing it. Whereas Jenna were just kind of sort of just starting to flounder at the minute and they should probably be at more risk of going down in a, in a normal season. It's just that the bottom three is so, so poor at the minute that, they're still safe, but it's just there's not really much to look forward to, and you can sort of sympathise with fans in that situation. And why they become so frustrated.
3: Yeah, I particularly like the the title of your article, which is up on for dot com now, which people should go over and read. The title is Genoa, no future, and nobody's dreaming. I I saw that. <laughs> and went, I have to read that. That's so hard, <laughs> but no. Um, you completely made brilliantly valid points throughout the article. And Andrea Mandolini is there now, as you said. Um, Sam fan, right? You touched on it in the article. He,
4: he was he was very much a... Well, he was into player and sort of legend, so he was into... And then when he was at Verona, he was like, very close to the Verona fans. He's got a little Verona tattoo on his wrist, but Verona are friends with Sampdoria. And once he made a comment about... Uh, trying to beat Genoa when he was at Verona, which uh, I think a few Genoa fans digged up and they didn't particularly like it, so they sort of see him as a, a sort of Sampdoria sympathiser in disguise, so they objected that. And then uh, his assistant, Nicolini, uh, who was a Sampdoria player, he's from Genoa, and he's a Sampdoria fan, he refused to move over, so all the Sampdoria fans were happy with him, so it kind of made Genoa look bad again, but they couldn't get Mandolini's usual replacement because he refused to go on... Um, well, not not ethical grounds, it's not it's not immoral to go to Genoa, <laughs> but these sort of sentimental reasons. That, but yeah, you said it was for respect for the Genoa fans as well because he didn't want to be there when he went. clearly not on their side. But yeah, they, quite a lot of them don't really seem to like Mandolini that much. I think a few are willing to give him a chance, but he, his Verona team was so poor last year and then he's been in controversies before in Serie B with... Uh, he wound up Salernitana fans, and some some of them were concerned about that. So Mandolini probably wasn't someone they expected to come in. So after Urich, and I don't think it necessarily says that the club has much of a long term plan. They they just sort of brought him in because they could. But he did change his system. Everyone always played a four three three, and against Bologna, he played a three five two, which apparently was what Preziosi kind of wanted. But Simeone and Panilla looked quite. Lively playing up as a front two. and they, they they did play fairly well against Bologna. They did deserve to to get the point, even if it came via a sort of long-range screamer at the death. But yeah, I suppose if, if he does well and gets a few results, I suppose all the, uh, the past grievances will fade away
3: quickly enough, as they tend to do. Yeah, well, on the future, um, Giovanni Simeone has been brilliant. As you said, he's linking up well with uh, Mauricio Panella. Uh, but he's surely going to be gone to someone else in the summer, right? That's how it works. You come through at Genoa, you impress, and then you're you're shipped off to Milan and Napoli or someone. So yeah, the, it doesn't look great for them. But I would recommend to everyone that you go over to forzaitalianfootball.com and read Lucas' piece because it's good and it's more level-headed than the title would suggest as well. I promise. Um, but elsewhere, Maurizio Zamparini has left Palermo after 15 years and 10,000 coaches um looking around online for the exact figure today and even in the chat before we came on air we were trying to work out the number and I had read numbers varying from 33 to 40 so I threw it out guys has anyone got a concrete answer on this and then Luca came back and Widened the spectrum and said, I've heard from 29 to 45. The Nick, I think you counted the coaching changes made by Zamperini during this time in Sicily. Uh, what was the number you came up with?
1: Yeah, I counted from Pruzzo, who had five days during the transition to Zamperini. So from Pruzzo, I counted 38 actual changes from manager to manager since
4: 2002.
3: Uh, right, that aside. Um, what is this going to mean for Palermo? Will they get more stability? They're, they're relegated this year, I think it's safe to say. Um, American investors, I think, are going to be taken over in the next two weeks. Mm. Uh, not a bad place to buy a football club, I suppose, Sicily. Um, one of the nicest views from a stadium in the world, I would argue, as well. But what can we expect for Palermo going forward?
1: I think it gives them a chance to rebuild as a club I think most fans would argue that they would rather um be in Serie B and um performing and you know not completely covered in uh controversy and controversy and managerial changes every 2 weeks than the the crap that's been going on there since well, the last you know, three, four years at least have been quite ridiculous. They've just been languishing down the bottom, just surviving every season um, and not a lot of joy there for the fans. So um, if not for anything else, as you said, Connor, stability is the main thing that that club needs um, and will be better for Zamperini leaving. Um, and to be honest, on in a general note, the less Zamparini's there are in Italian football, the better because... Um, Italian football gets a bad name from idiots like that running clubs. So um, I'm very glad to see the back of him and hopefully um hopefully there's some good investment from, you know, the Americans that are coming in and can build that club up to um, to be a, a strong A club for the future. I think obviously that's what the fans want and that's gonna start with stability.
3: Yeah, let's Maybe. hope so. I've always had a soft spot for Palermo, purely because they wear pink, which is amazing. Luca, what were you going to say there?
4: Uh, if they get um, sort of Anglophone owners uh, coming in, perhaps, that, that could open a path for Kyle Lafferty to return without Zamperini there to foil his woman- womanising ways in Sicily.
3: You're better off without Kyle Lafferty in your squad, whoever you are, unless you're Northern Ireland, apparently, because he does well for them and not for his clubs. But um, there were good times, it's important to say, under Um yeah. They've had some great players. Paolo Di Bala came through there. Andrea Barzali, and Giovanni, Javier Pastore. And even more recently, Franco Vasquez did brilliantly with Di Bala. But yeah, they got a few good Serie a finishes. I think they might have finished in the top five one year, right?
4: Yeah, they were yeah. in the UEFA Cup. They're playing yeah. West End.
3: Yeah, Vito Doria has written something on it as well. That's going to go up tomorrow. I'll edit that when we get off air tonight. But yeah, so Zamparini's gone. Generally good news, but yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to finish up with just a quick word from you both. Nick, you're wearing a, a blue shirt, so I'll go to you. Um, Claudio Ranieri, he got sacked. Mm. How do you feel?
1: Um, annoyed, a bit cheated. Um I mean, you know, it's pretty much echoing most people's thoughts that it was comp- really harsh, obviously, given what he's achieved. Um, particularly the timing to come after a 2-1 loss to Sevilla, um, Europa League champions, mind you, to get an away goal, um, was not a bad result by any means. So it was no, strange.
3: probably the best result. Yeah, exactly. The I mean, Manchester that's... City win.
1: Yeah. I just, um, I you know, I know it's come out from the owners that, you know, it's about the direction, the long-term future of the club, blah, blah, blah. And I, I understand that point of view, but I just wonder, well, at the start of the season, what was, you know, what was the directive given to Ranieri? Because if it was purely just concentrate on the Premier League and, you know, make sure we're nowhere near the relegation and don't worry about the Champions League, then I'm sure Ranieri wouldn't have been playing his first team for the Champions League every match and, they would have been able to focus more on the Premier League. So, I mean, Leicester City is still in the bloody Champions League. That's the most ridiculous thing about this. Um, you know, meanwhile, Inter Milan couldn't stay in the Europa League. That You know, just to kind of to put things into context here, like it, it just seems kind of it, – it blows your mind a bit. And I just wonder, you know, I don't think he was given, you know, the right directives from the start of the season because clearly – what he was doing was not what the directors were looking at. So I, I think he's been given the wrong instructions to start with and then that's been used against him. You know, let's be honest, if Leicester City had the Champions League last season, if they were competing in that as well, they would not have won the title. It wouldn't have happened. And, of course, they were always going to struggle with competing in a, an added tournament and against such opposition. So... Um, uh yeah, com- completely disagree with it and I think if anything that game, that match against Liverpool for anyone that saw them play completely showed that a lot of their performances are down to that attitude of uh the Leicester City players because they came out there and they played a match like they hadn't all season. So I think a lot of the a lot of the the fault there is the player attitudes um and I see very little of it being in Ranieri.
3: Yeah, I think the overwhelming feeling from everyone is just sadness, really. It's a real shame that after what he did last year, he's lost his job. And again, you can kind of see that that they could very well get relegated. They probably would have the way things were going with Raniere, but um, a few people have come out and said they would have taken three, four relegations with him yeah. because of what he gave them last year. And you kind of, it's a shame to see that, Go like there's if Claudio Ranieri can win the league with Leicester and within nine months not have a job, it's it's a strange situation. But um, yeah, maybe the change was needed for them to keep for them to stay in the Premier League. But Ranieri said from the start of the season that he was targeting survival. Um, So it's kind of clear where his ambitions lay this year, and it should really be emphasised that. This is completely normal for Leicester, I would argue. Like, yeah, last year was the fluke. This is what they should be doing, but we'll stop because it's not a Premier League podcast, and we we have obviously got some emotional ties to Renieri given it's an Italian football podcast. But yeah, um, you there's a video up. You, know, you spoke to some Leicester fans when they were going to win the league. Um, basically, they all just say they love Claudio Ranieri. Um, it's worth watching. It's kind of sad watching all the happiness now. But, mm. yeah, um, give us a roundup of what's happening on YouTube at the moment then, Nick.
1: Yeah, and mind you, with that video, those are the same fans that when me and Vieri were interviewing them, they were the same. They were saying exactly what you said, Connor. They were saying it. it this is before it all came out. This They said it didn't matter what happened next year. If they got relegated, it was fine. That... Guys that were had been supporting and going to the ground for fifty years, they said, "This irrelevant of what happens next year if we get relegated. This has made my life as a Leicester City fan. And that kind of says everything. I mean, uh, I think I think if anything, the decisions just kind of lost the, you know, a bit of a bit. Of, football's lost a bit of heart, hasn't it? It's a bit of a sad reflection of modern football. But anyway, um, YouTube, <laughs> looking forward. Um, yeah, well." Uh, Got the Champions League coming up again um, next week? Yeah, next week. Um, so we'll, uh, I, I don't know if anyone saw the preview, Katarina and I did for the first leg, we'll be looking to do something similar for the second leg. So look out for that and we might get out a couple other things, possibly something around um, um Vieri's still got his team of the weeks coming out, so... Um, sure to have a look at them and actually put forward any ideas or um opinions you might have please feel free to disagree with the thoughts of our um esteemed members because we we like to um you know be challenged on things as well so um and yeah and as always we'll be looking at some of the major matches for the weekend so we might do um some reviews after the match so just look out for them if you are subscribed to the youtube channel you will know when they're coming on so
3: um be sure to click the little subscribe button yeah the subscriptions are going up every day as well i noticed i logged on to the youtube account twice today and in the space of an hour they've gone up by like 12 and i was like whoa where did they come from in the last day but yeah people are getting on board people are enjoying the videos so join in luca um sorry i made you look at the Serie B table and then completely forgot to go to you. So yeah, before we wrap <laughs> things up, what's happening down there? I see Spal are continuing their promotion charge.
4: Yeah, I guess Super Spal could go ballistic soon. They've moved up to second in the automatic places. That's two wins on the bounce. Whereas <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Frozdeno <laughs> <us>, have <they've never laughs> gone top and Bari are doing quite well under Stefano and They've uh, had some high scoring games. they scored a Paragini's got a scream in their last game they won three on the bounce. and Verona have won their first game in four Pazzini scored two he's the key man so they're back going in the promotion race for automatic places after sliding away recently
3: So it's Frosinone then Spal and then Verona Uh, is there a big gap then between Verona and fourth or are we looking? Uh,
4: No it's all pretty close Uh, I think well Barrio are in fifth and they're about eight points off so you think that uh, them going up automatically probably isn't going to happen. Then I can't remember who is fourth. It's probably Benevento. Benevento, yeah. And they've been falling down a bit recently. But I think you are kind of getting that top three starting to establish yourself. But the, the whole playoff places are all quite fluid at the moment and it could all, all change again soon.
3: Yeah, I think I speak for most of us when I say we're fully behind Spal's promotion charge just because that would be amazing wouldn't it they'll they'll get smashed in sarah next year but just to see them come up would be fantastic um i think that's just about it you can as nick said subscribe to us on youtube watch the videos call nick an idiot um you can pledge on patreon if you feel that generous we've a few people giving us their hard-earned money and we really appreciate it so Join in and we can deliver better podcasts. You won't be seeing me in my kitchen. Uh, You won't be (laughs) seeing Nick in an Italy jersey. Um, We'll do a better job and the videos will be better as well. Nick won't be wearing blue and black shirts when he's previewing the event. This games, but yeah, you can get us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Serie FFC. Facebook and Instagram at Forza Italian Football. I'm at Con Calcio on Twitter. Luca is at Gumby and Nick is at Nick Zed Carroll. Myself and Nick are both on Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, on the site this week, I wrote about Atalanta being really, really good and why you should start to take them seriously. I've won Nick around, and if that's possible, I can win anybody around. So head over <laughs> and read that. Um, Vito will have something up tomorrow on Zamparini's reign at Palermo. Luca wrote probably the best piece of the week so far on Genoa. Really good. Uh, only because Marco Jackson hasn't written yet. So don't get too ahead of yourself. <laughs> but yeah, and then Big Kev P has been busy. He wrote about Dino Zoff for his birthday and Gianluigi Buffon. Uh, and then he is, he wrote something on Marikamsic, which will be going up later in the week or maybe next week. And there's another piece looking ahead to Napoli-Roma where he basically looks at Hamsik versus Milan, the Battle of the Beasts, I think he's called it. So that's definitely worth looking out for. But, guys, anything else to add before we wrap things up here? Mm. Nick, the camera's gone to you. Mm. Nah. Spell have back nice here. kits. So let's hope they, they come up. Yeah, they, they do have nice kits. Um, it'd be nice to replace Palermo's pink with Spell. So that'll do it for this week there's no question about what the outro music is this week guys i'm sorry but it's gonna be an atalanta one um we'll talk to you guys again next week keep an eye on everything and it's ciao for now
2: Finally, being a little extra